Yes, it is, and welcome to Skulls and Lior Samfiru. Courtesy Samfiru to Market LLP. I want to reach out to Lior. Do so. Make that phone call on your own time with your own questions. That's how it works. one 855 821-5900. If email is more your speed, help at employmentlawyer.ca. And for any other concerns, the website pocketemploymentlawyer.ca as well. A whole bunch of questions you've had recently, uh, Lior, from your clients all about termination and severance and that whole topic we'll get to here in just a bit, possibly some emails. First, the case of the day. What's happening on your desk, pal? Hey, John. Great to be here, of course, to answer questions. I've been answering a lot of questions today. Uh, every uh, Wednesday, I also do a live stream uh, in the afternoon that airs on uh, YouTube and Facebook and uh, LinkedIn and opportunity for people to ask me questions. You can always feel free to join me on those. Make sure that tomorrow is a better day than today may have been. If today something happened in the workplace and you want to know how to deal with it tomorrow when you go back, just call. Ask the question. I'll tell you what to do, what to say, what not to say. Uh, if you're being mistreated by your boss, bullied or harassed, or maybe you're seeing uh, uh, the end of your employment coming up. There's a sign that they're going to let you go, that, uh, that there's some changes happening, what to do, should you prepare for it, how to prepare for it. Well, you get the idea. You can ask all those questions. If it has anything to do with your job, I'll answer it, and I'll tell you what you need to know. And, of course, to continue the conversation beyond the 30 minutes of this show, easy to do that as well. We'll give you that contact information so you can reach out to me in the office if you want. But case of the day, where I'd like to start, I spoke with a lady today, and she had uh, been working from home, working remotely uh, for the duration of, uh, of the pandemic. So she started working from home remotely three years ago and expected to continue working. Well, she just was told by her employer that she needs to come into work three days a week, starting very soon. Well, the problem with that, other than the fact that she doesn't really want to, but the problem was much more than significant is... She now has young kids, and there's no other arrangements she has for them. She was, the kids are often home with her, and, and uh, when they do have uh, daycare sometimes, she's able to drive them and pick them up. She was able to, uh, to build her life around that because she was working from home, and she needed time. She needed time to find daycare, to go on a waiting list for daycare, to arrange for care after school so she can mm-hmm. go in the office three times a week. And anyone that has kids will tell you that you can't do that overnight. That takes time, especially in a big city like Toronto. So uh, she told her employer, I can't do this right now. I'm going to need to figure this out, but it may take me a few months. Employer said, that's the you problem. That's not a mm-hmm. us problem. So we expect you in very, very soon. She called me. Well, the reality is, no, it's not a, a her problem. It's an employer problem. And the reason for that an employer has to find a way to accommodate childcare obligations. We call this accommodation based on family uh, family status. It's under our human rights code. It's a, it's a requirement. Now, the first kind of order of business is for her to try to make arrangements. But if she tried, then the only way she can provide care for her kids is by accommodation through her employer. They have to accommodate. In this case, that means that they have to give her sufficient time they have to give her a few months to get her affairs in order to find other arrangements for her kids before they can have her come back to the office. They can't happen in a few days. So it's illegal. So I'm going to get involved. I'm going to send her employer a letter saying, you can't do this. Uh, you have obligations. They'll back off as soon as they hear from me. But I wanted to remind our listeners here that if you do have certain childcare obligations and you need to, you need some help, you need support, you need accommodation from your employer to meet those obligations, 
your employer has to provide those to you. It's not an option. It's not uh, in their discretion. They have to do it. If they won't do it, if they're not being cooperative, give me a call. Let's get to our first call of the evening. Mike, thanks for hanging on for a moment, pal. How are you? Hey, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, you might be getting inundated uh, in the next little while. Uh, I work for uh, an independent contractor who's under contract to FedEx Brown. Uh, I do courier work, pick up and deliveries. FedEx Brown does not employ anyone outside of uh, the office environment. All the work, uh, delivery work is done by independent contractors and their employees. FedEx Ground just announced uh, yesterday to their independent contractors that a year from now, they will no longer be doing business with the independent contractors and using this business model, and that they will be, uh, all of the drivers uh, would be hired by FedEx uh, as employees. I was wondering, on the exit from the independent contractor and the transition to FedEx, even if it's a, a very smooth and immediate trans, uh, transition, does the independent contractor owe the employees severance pay? So are you employed by that independent contractor, or are you considered an independent contractor yourself right now? No, I am employed by the independent contractor. He is under contract to FedEx Ground. I got it. Okay. So, uh, and and you've received notice at some point that your employment with this independent contractor is going to come to an end. Is that right? It's it's been announced. Yes, and it's it's saying that this uh, the event horizon for this is one year from now. So, because you've received one year's notice, that counts towards your severance. And and how long have you been working with this contractor? Uh, four years. So the reality is that that is unfortunately your severance. That notice, that 12-month notice that you got is your severance. So because of that, from a legal standpoint, they they wouldn't owe you anything really. Uh, Now, if they said, okay, tomorrow uh, you're no longer working for us, then yes, of course, they'd have to pay severance. But because you had that 12-month notice, that counts. Now, if you had been there for 20 years, you'd still be owed an additional severance over and above that 12-month notice. But for you specifically, because you've been there for four years, th- there would be no additional severance owed to you in this situation. All right. And does it have to be in writing, or is verbal good enough? Uh, if does they – go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, it, 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 it does need to be in writing. It does need to be in writing. So if you yeah. were – if it, if you weren't yet provided notice in writing, then you haven't yet been provided notice. But if at some point you are, from that point, that clock starts ticking. And for you, as long as you get a minimum of, let's say, six months notice, then there would be no additional severance owed to you. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate the uh, call, pal. Any further questions or later on if things uh, change, feel free to reach out to Leor and his team. You can. You know that. one 855 821-5900 and of course help at employmentlawyer.ca is the email address we always use gonna shake, uh, take a short break and get into some questions about termination and severance just like that one when we come back employment law show continues hang on okay lots of questions here Lior, about uh, 
Determination and severance. Uh, it's good. These questions are good that people sent in because these are very common and lots of people scratch their head wondering these things as well. First one, how about this? Kind of a bit of a trick question. How long can my employer keep me on a layoff? You're right. It is a trick question because mm-hmm. the answer actually is zero. They can't. There is no period of time that your employer just automatically has a right to put you on a temporary layoff. Whether it's a week, a month, six months, no, there's no time limit. Of course, we're talking here about non-union employees, of course, as we always are. Uh, But with the non-union employees, your employer doesn't have a right to put you on the left. By putting you on the left, they're breaching the terms of employment, and you can treat that as a termination and get severance. So you don't have to accept a temporary layoff, not for a week, not for any period of time. So when someone is put on a temporary layoff, they do often ask me, I get this question essentially every day, certainly every week, well, when is enough enough, or how long can they keep me on this temporary layoff? They cannot at all. It's your decision. If you decide I'm going to see for a few days or a week or two and see what happens, that's your decision. Fine, you could do that. Or you can choose to treat that as a termination. Keep in mind that if you choose to see what's happening and to see what's going on and wait and they call you back to work and you go back to work, you've accepted that temporary layoff and now arguably your employer has the right to do it again and again. So you want to keep that in mind. But there isn't a time. Your employer is not allowed automatically to just put you on a temporary layoff. This one, too, is uh, you know people thinking this, and this is the reason why they, they hesitate sometimes to give you guys a call when they really shouldn't. That is, does taking, quote-unquote, legal action against my former employer mean taking them to court? Scary, right? Yeah, and, and people, you know, often when I say, give me a call. You know, you hear me say this on the show every single time I'm on. Give me a call, call me, reach out. Uh, well, people say, well, what does that mean? What am I doing by Mm -hmm. by calling you, Lior? You know, does that mean I'm taking my employer to court? Not at all. Not even close. First thing that that happens if if you call me is we have a chat about your situation. I can advise you about what the law says and what your rights are. Now, if at that point there is something that needs to be done to help you, I get involved. But in most cases, what that means is I reach out to your employer and I educate your employer about their obligations and oftentimes that's enough to get this resolved to get you what you're owed and and to get the situation dealt with even if we have to start formal legal proceedings you're not going to court in 99.5 percent of the cases so you don't have to worry about long complicated legal battles here it's just rare it's almost never the case in employment matters it may be more likely in a in a different situation but not in employment cases so never be afraid of the process that doesn't mean you're going to court far far from it in the vast majority of cases we can resolve it quickly amicably and on good terms some of these questions are beauties all about uh, termination and severance things you often wonder how is severance calculated Lior, for those who work in very specialized industries where there's not a lot of jobs. We're not talking the rank and file employees of this country, right? We're talking the, the ones that are a little bit a little bit different. Yeah. So, so depending on the industry you work in, or depending on your specific role within the company, you may be in a very specialized position. It may be difficult for you to find another job because there's just not a lot of jobs like yours. Mm-hmm. And and you know, if you're I don't know in the aviation industry, for example, there's not going to be a ton of jobs. You know, that's not unlike something else. So what does that mean for your severance? Well, if you're losing your job and you're in that specialized role, because it's going to be more difficult to find another job, that means you get more severance. So if you're in a, in a type of industry or a job where it's going to be very easy to replace it, 
you're going to get get less severance than someone that's going to have a hard time finding a job. So it's that it becomes that much more important to get that legal advice because the law understands that. The law counts for that. It could be the difference between getting, I don't know, 12 months severance with a normal quote-unquote job or getting 20 months severance if you have a, a position that's going to be difficult to replace. That's why important to get legal advice. It's not a linear equation. There's many factors that can impact just how much severance you get. By the way, guys, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, severance calculator tucked in there nicely. You can use that uh, at your leisure anytime. It's absolutely free. So someone has a contract and it prevents them from competing with their employer for 12 months. We'll talk more about how that's changed recently. But does that mean that they should get at least 12 months severance to cover off that, uh, that clause in the contract? Then I get this, this question often. So I have a, I don't know, a 12 month non compete. Company's letting me go. Does that mean that they have to pay me 12 month severance because right. I can't work for a competitor? Well, no, not necessarily. Now, the fact that you have a non compete and that may make, make it more difficult to find another job is a factor, absolutely, that can increase your severance, but it's not automatic that you get the amount of severance to correspond with your non compete. It could be, your severance could be less than that. It could be a lot more than that, but it's not automatic. But again, it is a factor. So the harder it is to find a job, the more severance you get. So if you have a non-compete, it's harder to find another job, right? If you're bound by a non-compete, that means you can't look for a job for a period of time in a specific field or in a specific area. That means it's harder to find another job. Therefore, John, more severance. Can you just ignore it? It's never advised, right? So, so, so right now, you know, certainly in Ontario, there's legislation that came in last year that makes non-competes unenforceable for many people. So for those individuals, if, if there's legislation like that, yeah, you, you potentially can ignore it. But here's the problem, okay? So you sign the non-compete, you don't care about the non-compete because the law says it's not enforceable anyway. Fair enough. What if that law comes off the book next year? What happens yeah. then? You know, let's say we have a new government that gets reelected and they decide to get rid of that. Well, what happens to your non-compete? Well, then potentially it could be enforceable. So, so this is an important message here, and that is we should never just sign something thinking that it's not enforceable. There's things that are absolutely not enforceable, but to sign them on that basis is just too dangerous. So my best advice is that if you're not prepared to live with something, that you need to negotiate it. And Happy to help you if you're ever in that situation. Let's uh, talk a little bit about the old company car. That'd be nice. So what happens to that when you were let go? Is it goodbye car or uh, how do they compensate you for that? So yeah, many people have a company car that they, they use and you know they treat it essentially as their car, but the company owns it. So you know you just lost your job. So what, what happens to that car? Well, here's what happens. The company is allowed to require you to bring the car back immediately. They own it. But if they do that, they have to provide additional compensation that, that's equivalent to the value of that car. So what I mean by that is this. Let's say you're owed 10 months severance. So the company can let you keep the car for 10 months. That's fine. Or if they don't want to do that, they want the car back, they have to pay you an additional amount of money equivalent to you leasing a car like that for 10 months. So if to lease a car like that, I don't know, is $800 a month as an example, well then $800 a month needs to be added to your 10-month severance. So the value of the car or the, the, the company car, or even if there's a car allowance, that all has to be accounted for as part of your severance. Remember, severance is not just your salary. Severance is not just your benefits. It's all components of your compensation. And 
your car, the company car that they give you, is part of your compensation. Therefore, that has to be accounted for as part of your severance. Let's look at the reverse angle. So this particular perk for your job isn't how it gets you from place to place. Maybe you're a superintendent, and part of that perk is where you live, right? You don't go anywhere. That's where you live. You may have a suite in the apartment. How does that factor into it as well? Yeah, and and that's, that's very true for superintendents because oftentimes they get a smaller salary than they otherwise would, but they get to stay rent free, let's say yeah. in the, in the building. And so that's part of their compensation. So if that superintendent loses their job, they should either be allowed to keep that apartment for the severance period, or they have to be given an amount in lieu of that. So if it would cost $2,000 a month to rent an apartment like that and they're owed 12 months severance, well, then 2,000 times 12 months is what they have to get paid as part of their severance. Okay, that's in addition to the other severance that they get. So again, part of the compensation, if you want to know if something needs to be included in your severance, you simply ask yourself this question. You ask yourself, would it have been included? Would I have gotten this had I continued working? And generally, if the answer is yes, I would have gotten it if I'd continued working, then it has to also be included as part of your severance. Let's flip it around to the employer side. We know that an employer does, uh, they have to pay severance to an employee. Well, they, well, they do not. If they've done something wrong, you call it the capital punishment of the employment relationship. But if the employer finds out that the employee did do something really that bad, uh, what do they do? How do they approach it? So first of all, an employer has to, uh, you know, do the proper research and do their homework to make sure that the employee, in fact, did what, you know, they believe that they did. So you can't start disciplining an employee, firing an employee, writing them up, unless you actually know that the person did what you say. So you have to look into it and, and you know be sure of that. The employer has to prove that the employee did that. The employee doesn't have to disprove it. Now, assuming the employer can prove that the employee did something bad, well, the question becomes at that point, the analysis that the employer has to go through is, what is the appropriate punishment to fit that crime? What you can't do is jump straight to capital punishment. You can't just say, well, you did something wrong, you made a mess of this project, therefore, we're going to fire you. No, you can't do that. Uh, unless, you know, if the person stole, if they hit someone, of course, yeah, you can. But generally speaking, if, if the person did something bad, that's still not going to be enough. So what is the appropriate punishment? Are we going to give them a warning? Are we going to give them a suspension? Uh, and that punishment has to fit the crime. If the employer jumps the gun and say, no, no, we don't take that, we don't accept that, we're firing you for cause, that can usually be a wrongful dismissal. You're going to owe the employee severance. So always consider those things. And, you know, how do we fix this issue? How do we bring the employee back on side? How do we rehabilitate that relationship? Mm-hmm. Those are the things that the employer should be thinking about rather than let's fire someone and not pay them severance. So we, we've had this call too. People are like, hey, you know what, Leon, I'm a little tired of this place. I'd like to leave. I don't want to cough up my severance. Um, can I ask for it on the way out? How's that work? Yeah. So I certainly get that question probably once a week now. Uh, huh. Someone says, well, you know, I'm either interested in retiring or I just want to leave this company, but I've been there for a while and I, I don't want to not get my severance. So how do I ask for my severance? So generally speaking, if you just quit, right? Yep. If you just say, that's it, I'm gone, goodbye, you, you, you don't get severance because severance is paid when the company lets you go, either directly or through their actions. Uh, so that the fact that that's the case doesn't mean that you can't ask your employer, say, hey, employer, listen, 
if you're looking to make some changes and cut some costs, I'm willing to leave as long as we can negotiate the terms of my departure. Worst thing the company can say is, no, not going to do that, in which case you're exactly in the same situation that you're in right now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you are able to approach your employer about uh, compensating you uh, and, and see if there's a deal that can be worked out. At that point, the law kind of stays out of it, right? The law would be the law would not be involved, and it's up to you to negotiate whatever makes sense for you with your employer. I'm always happy to help with that. But, yeah, there's, it never hurts to ask the question as long as what you're saying is, I'm not telling you I'm leaving now anyway, goodbye, pay me. That makes no sense. You're saying, hey, I'm willing to, I'm willing to help you out if it does help you out by leaving as long as there's something in it for me as well. If you approach it that way, nothing bad will happen. Oftentimes, the employer is going to say yes, and even if they say no... You haven't lost anything. Let's get to a quick email before we wrap. Margaret, this one's a beauty. says, worked for a healthcare facility for 32 years, full-time as an independent contractor. I was let go last week. What am I owed? John, is there such a thing as a 32-year <laughs> person that's an independent contractor? Yeah, I'm leaning towards no. <laughs> yeah, how about no on that one? No, yeah. it, it's impossible. It, it really is to be working for that lengthy period of time and still be considered in the eyes of the law an independent contractor. Of course not. He is an employee. That means he has the rights of an employee, including the right to get severance, which for him would be 24 months pay. If you have a regular job, you are an employee. If you go to work for a company, you do your work, you come home, you go back the next day to work again, you are an employee. It doesn't matter what the company calls you. It doesn't matter what you sign. doesn't matter how you pay your taxes. doesn't matter if they pay your HST. does not matter. What matters is how you actually operate in the real world. If you look like an employee and act like an employee, you're an employee. And after 32 years, it would be impossible for him to be more of an employee than he is. So, yes, severance is absolutely out there. To reach Lior, 1-855-821-5900. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. And use that website. It was built just for you. It's free. It's anonymous. It's handy. Called pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. And we'll catch you next time on the Employment Law Show.